Hello and welcome to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. We're here to look at the Premier League action coming this weekend and I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Who Scored's Dan Worth, another debut on the podcast this week. And as always, Jonathan Wilson is with us as well, but we're not going to start with the Premier League. We're going to start with the FA Cup team of the round, Dan. So the FA Cup team of the round is in a 4-3-3 formation. Um, in goal, we've got Rodak. In defence, we've got Vitinho. Ahmed Odzic, Reem and Taylor. A midfield three of Cullen, Paulinho and De Bruyne. Um, and in attack, we've got Mahrez, Ihi and Acho and Foden, um, with Foden being the player of the round. Jonathan, you got any thoughts on, on that too? Or are you past um, caring about the FA Cup now, Sunderland are out? <laughs> I, I mean, we got the fourth round for the first time in seven years, I think, this season. So <laughs> you got I, I'm, back, Villa. I, I'm back on board with the FA Cup. Um, yeah, I mean... Ian Acho, I guess, is the interesting one because he's, he's weirdly good in the FA Cup compared to other competitions. Uh, I don't know if that just means he's good at bullying w- weaker teams or whether he's getting more of an opportunity in the FA Cup. Um, but, I mean, in a in a pretty disappointing investor display, he, he again was the sort of one who stood out. Um, I find him a really odd player that his, his, the difference between good Ian Acho and bad Ian Acho seems vast. And I, I find that quite hard to reconcile. I mean, he's got an excellent record against Villa, so I've only ever really seen good again, actually. I've never never really seen the battle. I think Villa might be his favourite team to play. He scores against us every time he plays against us, so I'm not familiar with, with the bad Ian Acho. But Leicester in general, Jonathan, I think they're in... They're the ones that could get seriously pulled in. I think they're in, they're in big trouble. That FA Cup defeat in the week could really affect them. It might do, but on the other hand, it might free up a bit of time for them. I know there's any... Yeah, maximum three games left, so maybe it doesn't make that big a difference. But I, I, I think the relegation battle is is fascinating this season because I think there's I think Bournemouth and Southampton. You look at their squads and they're they're not quite the level of, of the other eighteen. But somebody pretty good is going to go down, and it could be that Bournemouth and Southampton get out of it, and then two pretty good teams will go down. And maybe I'm maybe Leeds aren't that good. Maybe I've sort of allowed you know, BLC or Leeds to slightly. You know, affect my judgment of them, but you know all those teams at the bottom. You, you kind of once a month they'll produce a performance. You think actually they're they're pretty good, um, and what Leicester definitely have is is goals. And when Madison's playing, you, you think they they really can can threaten anybody. And you think even in that game against Manchester United where they end up losing three nil, they still played pretty well the first twenty minutes, half an hour of that game. Um, yeah, I don't think three nil was representative. So. Yeah, Leicester, Leicester a bit like Ian Acho. The, they, they, their results don't seem quite to match their abilities. Uh, and I think the three signings are made in January. Um, I, you know, I think, I think they should make them better. I mean, I think Suter coming in at the back just gives them a little bit more solidity there. I think him and Boutfast together should be good enough at centre back. Tete, you know, has given them a, a bit of added zest. So. Uh, I mean, I say they should get out of it, but I sort of think that about West Ham and Forest and Everton and Leeds, and one of them won't get out of it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. There's a lot of interesting things going on in the Premier League this season. It feels like some things you can predict what are going to happen, you know what are going to happen normally, but this season it feels like there's a lot of stuff that's going to be open and it could even all go down to to the final weeks of the season. Dan, we're working you hard at the start of this podcast this week. You've also got a Premier League Team of the Month for us. Yeah, absolutely. The the Premier League Team of the Month for February um, is in a classic 4-4-2 formation and includes only players that have made three or more appearances. Um, But in goal, we've got Raya, uh, at the back, we've got Trippier, Reem, Ben Mee and Estupinian 
in midfield, we've got Solly March, Bruno Fernandes, Rodri and Marcus Rashford. And up top, we've got Ivan Tony and Ollie Watkins. Okay. No, no real surprises in that team, Jonathan? Anything anything that stood out? I mean, there's a few for you then. Rashford playing as a midfielder, I'm not, not entirely convinced by the formation. Oh, you, can have him, you can have him on the left, I think. I mean, who's scored done worse things on this podcast? They've, they've done worse things, yeah, <laughs> but um, I'm thinking you can get in and about that midfield. Uh, I mean, Rodri, okay, can can sit there, but I, I wouldn't like me fullbacks pushing too far forward if I've got the, you know, the other three midfielders. Uh, uh, Sonny Marsh, I guess, does track back, but uh, yeah, there's. Uh, I'd be I'd be attacking down my right there left if I was playing against that team. Okay, so yeah, Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandez in that team, which leads us nicely onto Liverpool v Manchester United at the weekend. Believe it's a four thirty kickoff on Sunday. Rashford and Fernandez is his current form. Dan, what, what do you think's been the big driver behind that? Because both had quiet spells last season. <coughs> let, let's say, but this season both have been excellent. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Both both have been excellent. Um, And they love playing against Liverpool. Um, Between them, they've scored four of United's last six goals against them um, in their last five games, which, yeah, is pretty big in itself. Um, And I think they're Rashford's second favourite team behind Leicester. He scored six goals against them, um, including the winner when they last met. Um, But I think one of the the big reasons behind their kind of impact this season is is Wild Weghorst. All of the work that he does off the ball for United... Um, really kind of plays into Rashford and Fernandez's hands. He, he buys them time and, and just allows them to flourish. Uh, looking at Weghorst, he's, he's made um, more interceptions and tackles, 12 of them, than he's had shots, um, which was eight. Which is really interesting because I think um, a lot of people could, you know, start using that as an insult to a striker and, you know, start branding him as a defensive striker and all kind of things like that. But I think you can see there that how important that is to the Man United side and, as I said, it just allows the forwards to flourish a bit more and, and they are absolutely doing so. Um, and, and you just have to look at their recent form, um, especially Rashford. He's just, yeah, scoring goals every week. Yeah, Jonathan, I was watching um, Barcelona, the Barcelona game last week on, on BT Sport and the commentary team, I think it was, I think it was Darren Fletcher and, and Robbie Savage. I know it wasn't, it wasn't Darren Fletcher, actually. I think it, it might have been Ian Dark. I can't remember who it was anyway, but Robbie Savage was definitely one of them. And the commentators... They were desperate for Manchester United to t- take Vercorst off and play Rashford through the middle at the time. But do you think Vercorst is actually offering a lot of unseen stuff, the kind of thing that Dan's just mentioned? Yeah, I'm not even sure it's unseen. I, I mean, I think you you look at him and you... He's 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 not the most sort of graceful of players. I mean, the, the second United goal in the Carabao Cup final, it starts with uh, Vercorst advancing and, it, you know, he he he's a very weird runner, and he sort of he sort of runs on tiptoes with his shoulders back, and it sort of looks very ungainly. But then it's his little pass through to to, to Rashford, which creates the goal, and the pass was perfectly weighted. Rashford's first touch was excellent, but you know, from from a not not hugely promising situation where the two of them were, I think there's four defenders around them plus a goalkeeper, they create the opportunity between them. So he's obviously a smart player. I think because of that slight ungainness, because of the fact he doesn't score many goals, maybe um, people underestimate him. But you know, he does do, you know, as Dan was saying, all, all, all that work, all those interceptions, all those tackles. Um, and I don't think it is an insult to say he's a defensive striker. He, he does a very specific job incredibly well. And modern football... It's not like the football of 50 or 60 years ago where your striker scored the goals and your midfielders did the running and your defenders did the defending. They, you, know, you can have very specific jobs. 
and he, given the fact he's he started every game, I think it's right, isn't it? He started every game since he arrived. That shows how much Ten Hag appreciates the job he does. And I think what's interesting as well is he's used him in different roles. He's used him as a number 10. He's used him as a nine. Um, or sort of in the position of a 10 and a nine. I guess he's not fulfilling the role of a 10 or a nine. And he, he does that work. He is that first line of the press. And you compare his selflessness to the centre forward there before him. Um, I don't mean Martial by that. Obviously, I mean Ronaldo. Uh, and, and look at how much better United are doing that. And look at how Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford have thrived. And I, you know, I, th- I think, I don't know, I think people have very odd ideas of what centre-forwards in the modern game should do. It's not just about scoring goals, not just about hanging around the box. It's about bringing other players into the game as well. And you see it with, with discussion around Harry Kane, that people say, oh, yeah, if he hung around the box, he'd, he'd score more goals. He's often the Premier League top scorer. How many more do you want? But he sets up goals for other people, dropping deep. He pulls the f- defences out of shape. Um and Vekos, I think, is, is incredibly valuable. Now, if you can find a player who does all that and scores loads of goals, well, obviously, that's better. But I'm not sure how many of them there are about. Yeah, I think Manchester United will sign a, a big-name striker in the summer. But I also think they'll sign Vekos because, because of what he offers. And if you think of Ten Hag's more successful teams as well, they've had a player like Vekos in, in the team. And like you say, start, started every game so far. And he's been very, very effective. Dan, they're playing Liverpool this weekend. It's quite ominous. Manchester United at the moment they ruined my childhood in, in the main but they, they, they won they won most things they, they used to score against everyone's team in the last minute if they weren't playing well and they've been gone let's say for the for the last decade maybe they're now kind of they're back and that, that league cup win at the weekend it feels like the start of another cycle doesn't it yeah absolutely and I think both sides um in this fixture have quite contrasting uh stages of that cycle like Liverpool feel like they're coming to the end of theirs and and maybe the end of Klopp's reign and they kind of need to rinse and repeat. But United are very much at the start of theirs. And yeah, um, winning the Carabao Cup is is a pretty good place to start. Um, I find it quite interesting uh, looking at this point uh, last season for both sides. Liverpool are, I think, 15 points behind where they were at this point last season, which, yeah, is quite significant. And, and United are seven better. Um, but looking at the difference between the two last season, United were 12 points behind Liverpool at this point last season, which really shows how far they've come. Um, and and I think it can only go from strength to strength. I know, again, going back to last season, there was a lot of chat about can Liverpool win the quadruple, which obviously never came into fruition, but I think mainly in jest, but there are a few murmurs of United doing the same this season. Um, and, you know, after a win last night in the FA Cup, you'd think that they can probably get through the next couple of rounds there. Um, Europa League, doesn't look too out of the question. I think they're probably favourites to win that. The Premier League being the hardest one, of course, but I don't know how many more wins they need to uh, to be in with a genuine shout of that quadruple. It's quite interesting. and I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on that, actually. They do feel a little bit like the form team at the moment, Manchester United. Even include, I include Arsenal and Man City in that. Manchester United, to me, I could be wrong with the stats, but they, they feel the most consistent team at the moment in the Premier League. Yeah, I think so. And, and you kind of mentioned well, about your childhood then. Um, in the game last night against West Ham, I really did get sort of Fergie time feels from from that comeback. Um, and obviously, that's definitely a good place for Man United to be. Like, that's when they've been their most sort of um, significant with winning trophies and things like that. Um, so, I, I mean, it, it may continue. Yeah, and, and Liverpool played last night as well, Jonathan. 
did get a win in a, in a clean sheet. That clean sheet will probably be the thing that, that Klopp's most pleased with. So they're coming into this game in not quite as bad a place as perhaps they would have been. Yeah, I mean, they're sixth, but I still don't think they're anything like what they have been. I mean, it, it, I swear sort of um, facts can give a slightly misleading impression that uh, there's twice in the last five years when United have finished above Liverpool in the league. But I would say this is the first time that they've the two have gone into a game against each other, probably probably since Klopp's first season at Liverpool, where you feel that the balance of power in that rivalry is on the side of United. Um, yeah, there's been times before when you know, United have finished a, a couple of points above them, but there's always been a sense they've been sort of patching it together. There's not been a long-term plan, whereas Liverpool, you've been able to see where they're going. You might be able to see why they've dropped some points because of an injury or yeah, they, they had the very bad season during COVID. Um, but but it feels that 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 rivalry may have may have tipped the way of United in in the past sort of three or four months. Uh, I think there's quite an odd rivalry given they're the two most successful teams in English history. There hasn't been. I'm not even sure there's there's been a period where the two of them have been really good at the same time. It tends to be one or the other, and obviously there's a you know there are moments when they pass each other, but they they haven't really had a period like Arsenal had with United, for instance, where they, they were the two of them were going for titles. Yeah. Liverpool had the City, where it's the obvious two of them. Um, but haven't, there certainly haven't been, there might have been the odd season, but there certainly hasn't been protracted periods where Liverpool and United have been the best two teams in England. Um, and it, it does feel like it's tipped towards towards United, which shows, where they, given where they were in the summer, shows the, the remarkable job Ten Hag's done. Um, and yeah, Liverpool came, it, it, it's easy sort of, so I say, oh yeah, we talked about them for the quadruple last season. Sort of right off, there were two games from it. They were what fifteen minutes from winning the league. Uh, you know, if, if those games finished after seventy-five minutes or seventy minutes, maybe uh, before Villa let everybody down, um, yeah, Liverpool would have would have won the league. And and you know, they had what twenty shots in the Champions League final. Real Madrid's four, something like that. So they were they were as close as any team's ever come to the quadruple. Uh, so we shouldn't shouldn't dismiss just how good they were and just how close they came last season. United this season, yeah, they, they've, they're the only team who can win the quadruple because they've won the first trophy. Yeah, you look at the FA Cup and you know, Fulham was one of the harder draws they could have got in the quarterfinal, but basically they and City are obvious favourites for that. And and you sort of, um, I mean, I, I guess I guess you, you hope that an outsider comes through and wins it. That's the great storyline. But a Manchester derby in the cup final might be quite nice. Wouldn't be against that. Um, you look at the Europa League, I think Barcelona were the, the, probably the biggest threat to them. Well, they'd beaten them and, and actually beat them, I think, much more convincingly than the 4-3 aggregate suggested. I thought they were convincingly the better side in, in both legs. And then eight points behind Arsenal in the league. I mean, it's difficult, but Arsenal could slip up and you think, well, City are definitely in the race and United only three points behind City, so therefore United should be in the race. So, I mean, it's obviously not the same quadruple, but it, it's not totally out of the question. And they, they, they definitely have a shout in all four competitions. Yeah, and one aspect that kind of shows the turn in the in the two teams is tied over the last year, Dan, is the fullbacks. Because Dallow and Shaw have been, been ahead of Trent and Robertson in the ratings this time last year. I mean, I'm sure it didn't happen. It would have felt impossible. Is it, is it quite comfortable? I imagine it's relatively comfortable at the moment as well. Yeah, I mean, um, Dallow is above seven and, and Shaw is 6.92, so they're both very close to seven. And, and Trent and Robertson are 6.87 and 
Um, so it's quite comfortable. But you're right. Um, again, I, I seem obsessed with going back to last season, but it, it was quite difficult at points to see anyone overtaking Trent and Robertson for the foreseeable future. So for that to happen, you know, just one season later, I, I find quite surprising. Um, one thing I find interesting about United's uh, fullbacks is the impact of the competition of Molassi and Wambasaka. I, you guys may disagree with me, but I don't really feel like Klopp ever have had that um, with Robertson and Trent, that they really had competition coming through, putting them under pressure for their spots. They were probably the one and two names on the team sheet, maybe behind Salah and Mane, but definitely one of the first few on the team sheet. And I, I wonder if that is one of the reasons why Dallo and Shaw are performing such high level this season. What do you think, Jonathan? Because there is no, there's certainly no backup to Trent. I know Timmy Shas played last night for Liverpool. There's certainly no competition for Trent in in that Liverpool fullback role at all. But at Manchester United now, they just feel like there's that depth and that quality. Yeah, and the fact that um, uh, Ten Hag could bring on Wan Bissaka at, at half time in the Carabao Cup final to do a more defensive job, uh, yeah, that that I think shows the benefits of that depth. And I think yeah, you go back to say Pochettino Spurs, and he always said. Given how much running he needs his fullbacks to do, and I, I, I don't think Tottenham's fullbacks were particularly doing more running than, than other attacking fullbacks in the modern game. Yeah, he needed four of them. He needed two on either side, um, and so the fact that you can mix and match them. I mean, Ten Hag, I, I sort of get the impression that any excuse he has to put Malassia in, he puts Malassia in. He obviously really loves Malassia, and which is fine. I mean, he's good. I just don't think he's quite as good as Shaw. But you even sort of felt that thing of moving Shaw to centre back. It was a bit, wow, we can get Molassio in if we do that. And that was one of the reasons he was... I mean, Shaw actually did remarkably well at centre-back, far better than than I think most people thought possible. But it, it did seem that getting Molassio in the side was was part of the logic there. So it's it's obviously good. If you've got two players for every position, then uh, that's probably about the right number that you, you can... You can, um, everybody can... Yeah, there's, there's, it's not too many. It's not like Chelsea that you, you can play players regularly. And it also reduces the the physical burden. Um, sure, sure. I think has had quite a quite a strange career. He was so highly rated when he first came through. Then had that long spell under Jason Mourinho when he struggled a bit for fitness, but also his confidence was clearly really low. Well, he's back, and he's yeah, he's got a great left foot as well as his defensive qualities. Um, it's always slightly dangerous, I think, to sort of make these judgments based on an eye test. But he looks fitter. Uh, than, than he has been. Um, I'm not fully convinced by uh, by Dallow. I think that's an area where United probably will be looking to to improve, but he's had a very, very good season. And, and yeah, you, the fact that you have the option of him or the more defensive option of Wan-Bissaka, I think, is is very useful. If you need somebody to take out a winger, Wan-Bissaka is as good as anybody at, at the defensive side of, of full-backing. Let's move on to, to Bashetic then in in the midfield for Liverpool, Jonathan. I've definitely said it on another podcast. I can't remember if I've said it on this this one or not. He had a lot of prize and fair play to the, the guy. You know, he's 18. He's coming to that, that pressure cooker of playing for Liverpool. But he's getting an awful lot of prize about how good he is and he, he might go on and be a fantastic player. But I watch Liverpool and think he's simply doing the basics in midfield. But that's more than anyone else is doing in that midfield at the moment. I think he's in a bit more than the basics. I think he's been a bit harsh on him. But look, he's he's 18. And I think you, the game against Real Madrid, he really saw that. He really struggled. Now, that's not to say that it's not really a, a slur on him. You know, he's he's playing against Luka Modric. Uh, lots of very experienced, very, very good midfielders have struggled against Luka Modric. But it, it's a... And you sort of... The fact that Liverpool have got themselves in this position where 
they're relying on this 18 year old in a game like that is is not ideal you, ideally you'd, you'd bring him in through um more slowly you'd you do what say Guardiola did with with Phil Foden that you'd yeah you constantly bring him off a bench you give him half a dozen a dozen games a season and gradually build him up just thrusting him in as a regular is very very difficult and and he's I think he's handled it remarkably well um but I think it's a it's indicative of a wider problem at Liverpool that um they don't have players at their peak so this season uh, I think the only two players aged between 24 and 29 who've started more than five league games are Joe Gomez and Andy Robertson. And Gomez, you'd probably say, is not the bloke you'd want there, ideally. He wouldn't be playing in that back four. Uh, he'd be a backup. Um, so that, I think, is one of the reasons it's gone wrong for them. They've got a lot of old men, and a lot of promising kids, and not a lot in the middle. They've also still got Mo Salah, Liverpool. Good omen for them going into this game is that Manchester United Salah's joint favourite opposition with 10 goals in 11 games in all competitions. He's also two goals off Fowler's record to become Liverpool's top Premier League scorer. And he's already scored the most goals in European competitions for Liverpool. But what he'll really want to know is, is he in the who score combined 11? And is he in the Jonathan Wilson combined 11? Jonathan, I'm going to come to you first. I'm imagining he's in yours. I can't say imagining, but I'm imagining he's in yours. Yeah, he is. Uh, it's quite a hard team to pick because Liverpool's players, you know how good they can be, some of them can be, and also you know how badly they're playing. So it's it's quite hard to judge ability against form. But uh, I've gone uh, to 4-3-3, uh, Alisson in goal, uh, Alexander-Arnold at right-back, Varane, Virgil van Dijk, the two centre-backs, although van Dijk I hesitated over a lot given how his levels dipped this season. And I would quite happily have Martinez in there, short left-back, um, Casemiro and Bajetic back in midfield along with Ericsson were fit I'd definitely have Ericsson over Bajetic uh, Fernandes just in front of them and then Salah Berghorst and Rashford as my front three yeah not much to argue with there what was what's the ratio Jonathan I always ask this now what's the ratio one two three four five Liverpool six United okay what's the algorithm fired up for us then yeah it's not too dissimilar actually um, it's also a four three three uh, we've got Alisson in goal Back four of Dalot, Van Dijk, Martinez and Shaw, who I think might be a doubt for this fixture, but he's got the call up anyway. Uh, midfield three of Fernandez, Casemiro and Sabitzer. Uh, Sabitzer's included because we've used league ratings only, so he makes it in. Um, and a front three of Rashford, Weghorst and Salah. Okay, yeah, not not too dissimilar at all. So there's only t- only two differences. Yeah, we've got a difference at right back, which I, I completely see Dallas being better than Alexander Arnold this season. Um and then I've gone by to and you've gone Sabater. I just sort of think we haven't seen enough of Sabater yet. But I, I, I yeah. For, I've, 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 I don't have ever been quite so in agreement. This is. I think there was three different. <laughs> wasn't there a different centre back as well? Didn't you have Martinez? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Always. But I, I, I said that I wasn't against yeah. Martinez over Van Dyke. So, yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, well that's, that's boring podcasting, isn't it? We agree. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> Wilson's Wizards and, and who scored coming coming up with the same kind of thing there, but you know it's interesting. It, should, it shows that, you know, it does show the development of Manchester United over the last twelve months. Because if we'd have been doing a combined eleven this time last year, I can ratio might have yeah. been. I think we might have even done one, and it, and it might have. You'd it would have been, been you'd have eleven Liverpool, Liverpool yeah. Jonathan. Yeah. That, that's that's absolutely hundred. I, I think it shows the development of the algorithm over the last twelve months. 
yeah, yeah. It's well done to the, well done to the algorithm. Not often it gets much prize from from Mania on the on this podcast, but it, it, it's done well. Uh, predictions then, Jonathan as league leader, I presume still not that anyone ever tells I mean, who knows, yeah. is anymore. But yeah, I mean, I might as well say nine eight for all that matters. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say one one. One one. I'm going to go two two. Dan. Oh, I'm agreeing with Jonathan again. Sorry. Uh, one one. That's fine. That's fine. So we all think it's going to be a draw this weekend. Liverpool have crept back into into the top six, and it does feel like fourth might be there for them to have a little go at. Now we're going to look at Manchester City v Newcastle next. Jonathan is a is a northern man. I imagine you were pretty upset on Sunday when when Newcastle didn't bring home the, the Carabao Cup. I was absolutely devastated. I thought you would be. I was my first thought. <laughs> no, look, they. Um... But yeah, they, they they turned up, didn't they? They played and they lost. Never mind. Yeah, it's hard to know. It felt like a real bad time for Newcastle to have a cup final. Actually, Dan, they had the whole goalkeeper situation, but the the form had gone downhill a little bit in the league. They're having an unbelievable season and way ahead of schedule, way ahead of where you would have put them to be at this stage of the season. But if it had been a few weeks ago, it feels like it would have been a better fit. Yeah, absolutely. Their their form has dipped a little bit of late. Um, but I think what's really important is to remember that this is the start of their era. Um, and uh, especially Newcastle fans will be very disappointed to to lose that final and, you know, to have lost a couple of games in the Premier, etc. But you, you mentioned it there, that they're already way ahead of really where they should be after, you know, this season being their first real go at it. Okay, maybe the end of last season being the sort of start of the, the improvements. But I think there's just way more positives to take from what they've done this season, the negatives. Okay, yeah, it is disappointing to lose a final, but they got there. The signs are positive. You know, you look at their record in the league, they've only conceded 15 goals this season, which is already a very strong basis for for any side, um, which is, of course, the fewest in, in the Prem. So, yeah, I think Newcastle fans shouldn't be too disheartened. Okay, yeah, the season is probably over in terms of trophies, but as I said, it's, it's the first real go at it that... that there's still time and I think they should stay positive. Of course, Carrius played in the final at the weekend, Jonathan. It wasn't the, the tale of redemption that maybe we thought it, it, it could be because cup finals are, are funny like that, but he, he was their highest rated player in the cup final, so credit to him for that. Yeah, I mean, he made a couple of decent saves. I know he got some criticism for that second goal. I thought that was harsh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Lloris had a couple like that recently, hasn't he, where the ball's been hit at him quite hard from quite close range and it's deflected off somebody and you end up looking pretty daft as a keeper, but I just sort of think, you know, I, I played in goal in hockey, and yeah, you know, when when somebody's striking the ball from close range, you're not really looking at the ball. You, you you're picking up other clues, so you're not responding after the ball struck. You're responding to the, the body shape, you know, where the ball is on the foot, and so if it then takes deflection after that. Everything you set yourself for, yeah. Did, it was wrong and so yeah he was sort of maybe a little bit low and and, and I'm sure yeah, goalkeeping experts maybe could, could you know can, can tell you more about the technique of that but but the fact that he then looks a bit daft as the ball leaps over and he's sort of you know wafting a hand at it I just I just think when a deflection happens that close to you it's 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 pretty difficult so he, he wasn't the reason I lost the game um he did end up looking a bit daft, but I also thought his gloves looked weird. It looked like he was wearing gardening gloves. So they were like brown and had kind of big things around the wrists. It was, I mean, he wasn't going to get pricked by any roses wearing them, which is perhaps less important than saving shots. But, you know, it's, it's a useful, useful thing to have. 
Yeah, I mean, you sound about goalkeeping experts. You've got one right here, Jonathan, and I, I don't think there's much he could have, could have done about that. I thought Carragher was really harsh on him. In, in, in the commentary, like you say, he'd already set himself and he, he reached as high as he could and got got, got a little bit of a hand on it, but he couldn't yeah. reach. I mean, the, maybe, the maybe there is something. I, I, again, I, I'd, I'd like to know what a what a proper goalkeeping coach thinks about this, that, that maybe... Maybe the natural human tendency is to is to drop lower, and as a keeper, you've got to sort of stay slightly longer. Um, that it's a bit like, you know, if you're fielding at short leg in cricket, that you know, the, or even at slip, the, the the tendency is to is to come up too soon, um, and you've got to sort of coach yourself. You've got to constantly be telling yourself, stay low, stay low, stay low. And maybe with keepers, it's the other way around that you've got to be telling yourself, yeah, don't go down too soon, but. I don't know. I, if it is a mistake, it's a pretty minor one, and, and he made enough decent other saves that I think I think you can forgive him for it. You've given me a theory here, Jonathan. Right, so I've spent some time in goal, and I went through a phase where I was playing five aside every week. Obviously, the goals are quite low, so everything you do is low. And then when I went to eleven aside, I really struggled because mm. I was trying. I was trying to go down low for everything because Carrius hasn't been playing. Maybe he's been playing a lot of small-sided games in the in training, so he's, he's used to the, the smaller guys, and he's coming to coming to the big guys, and he's starting to set himself wrong. Could be something in that, Jonathan. But there, there could be. Yeah, but you're not as excited by that theory as, as I thought you would be, but you know, I think that there, there, there could be something in that. Let's talk about Manchester City then, Dan. Do you think you, I'm presuming you might think there's a case that Pep should start Alvarez and Harlan together more often. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting question. Um, They've started six games together, uh, of which City have won four, which may not sound that good, given that they're Manchester City. It's not bad. But they have scored, it's not bad, um, and they've scored four or more goals in all of those wins, and actually have scored 19 goals in those four games. Um, four against Bournemouth, four against Spurs, five against Copenhagen, and six against Forest. So, I mean, all the signs are there that they like to score when they play together, I think. Um, none of us here are going to disagree that they're both very talented strikers. I mean, Haaland is, has been out of this world this season, but Alvarez too is, is contributing with the goals. He's averaging a goal every 141 minutes in the league, um, which, you know, is what it is. But I think the most interesting part of that is it makes him the fourth most prolific City player since we began collecting data. So only Aguero, Iheanacho and Haaland have a better um, minutes per goal that man, Iganacho can't go away in this podcast. He's, he's <laughs> yeah, man of the moment. Um, and I appreciate Alvarez has got quite a small sample size. He's not played loads of games, especially when you compare him to the likes of Aguero. But I thought that was quite interesting that, you know, almost already he's he's being spoken about in the same sentence as Aguero, I suppose. But yeah, I guess to answer your question in short form, I do think they should start both um, and really go for Newcastle. Um, I mentioned earlier they've got the tightest defence in the league. Um, so it certainly wouldn't hurt City to have both of them going all guns blazing. Yeah, I think there's, there's definitely a case for Alvarez, and there's a, there's a case for Phil Foden now as well. Jonathan, he's, I mean, there's always a case for him. He's a, an unbelievable player, but he's been sat down on the bench quite a lot since football resumed after after the World Cup. But, but Foden was the player of the week in the Premier League last week, according to who scored. It's Wilson's Wizards time. You, you, what's Man City's best front thrower? Holland. Yeah. Um, good start. Good start from you. To really, you know, this is I, I, why, this is why you get paid the big bucks. This is why you're where you are. I'd play him through the middle, and then yeah. I'd pick two wide players. I, I, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I love Foden. So I'd probably have, probably, I'd probably say Foden and Mares. But if you want to say Foden and Grealish, then 
you know, uh, I mean, on, on the Alvarez point, the the game where they where City scored four against Tottenham was nil. Where they were two 0 down at half time, they didn't play well in that first half. Mid team was a bit freakish, but they then they played together away at Tottenham as well, didn't they? And when they lost one nil, and they played together Dortmund away for nil nil. Yeah. So I'd say that's a pretty mixed record playing the two of them together, given the nature of the other three games, which were what, what do you say, Forest, Copenhagen, and what was the other one? And Bournemouth. Bournemouth, yeah. So okay, against teams you expect to batter, great, play them. I would worry against Newcastle. Uh, yeah, look at how Manchester United played against Newcastle last Sunday. They said to Newcastle, "All right, you have a ball, you create, because we know you rubbish at it." And sure enough, they were they weren't great at it, and the United picked them off. And I know that's not really the way City play, but I do wonder if going at Newcastle and letting them attack on the break, given the pace of Sam Maximan and Almiron, whether that play slightly into their hands. I mean, the, the game at St James was, that was this season, wasn't it? The three-three. Yeah. Uh, when Newcastle were three-one up, which is a really, really good game of football. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I was at that one. Really enjoyed it. <clears throat> um, I, I, I'd be slightly. Given how vulnerable City st- seem still on the break, I'd be I'd be wary about over attacking against this Newcastle. For for all that Newcastle aren't, aren't playing particularly well at the minute, and maybe they are there to be to be taken. Um, I also wonder. I mean, I was trying to work out is is what what is it that about those six teams to Tottenham twice? He's obviously seen something in Tottenham that he thinks playing two against them makes sense. Tottenham play a back three. Yeah. But that doesn't doesn't apply to any of the others, does it? So, I'd 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 be fascinated to know what it is that that makes him go with the front two. The the game against Bournemouth last week, I mean, it was one. It was that slightly odd formation he's been playing recently, wasn't it? The sort of uh, the back three with Rodri in front, then a load of midfielders, then the two forwards, and so Foden was playing almost as a wing back in that game. And was it was it Grealish on the other side? Yeah, uh, or was it Lewis? Lewis was drifting in quite quite a lot. Right. Okay. Um, so, yeah, given he sold all the left backs, um, I wonder if the, you know playing the back three lends itself to the front two slightly more because he can then cover the the width through midfield, and maybe it's more to do with with that than the opponent. But you know, I, I look at that that. Um, that shape and with with a Foden or a Mavis or a Grealish playing at wing back, and that makes me very uneasy defensively on the flanks, particularly against a team like Newcastle, where I know Almond's not been in great form, but him and I know some Maximum's often not played and Jordan's played instead, but you sort of think they could get behind those 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 wide players in midfield and they could cause real trouble on the break. So, I mean, yeah, who knows what people think, but uh, as a sort of lay person looking at that. I'd say you go four three three and you uh, you play it much more orthodoxly. Yeah, so Maxman does feel like he's come back to a bit of form in, in recent weeks. He, he looks a danger at carrying the ball, and he was very good in that three three game that you talked about earlier on in the season as well. Let's look then at the combined elevens, and if I know Wilson's Wizards as well as I think I do, I reckon there's only one Newcastle player in your team. Uh, who do you think it is? Trippier. Yeah, that was the one I thought about. I still went with Walker. I've gone eleven City players. Oh, no, okay. I was nearly right. I was yeah. ne- nearly right. Just, I just, <laughs> just like they play so well together. Why would you break it up? But Tri- Trippier was the one I hesitated over. Trippier for Walker. Okay. Yeah, I think Trippier had a great season, but I, I, it's, it's quite a hard team to pick at the minute because I think Pep sort of picks 
very odd teams. Um, I don't fully understand what he's doing, but um, I went Edison Walker, Kanji, Diaz, Ake, Rodri De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, and then a question mark whether it's Foden, Mares, Holland, and Grealish. Do you think you'd have had some more Newcastle players in maybe at a different point in the season? Or would you have still done what you've done? You've no, because I always it. pick 11 City players. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. No, no, Bruno Gamara's on the bench. No, no, didn't come close to getting you to. Ah, he's probably on the bench, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Dan, what's the algorithm come up with? So, yeah, quite different. Um, we've got an all Newcastle defence with Nick Pope and goal, Trippier, Shaw, Botman, and Byrne. Uh, in midfield, we've got De Bruyne, Rodri, and Guy Mares. Um, and in front three, we've got Foden, Haaland, and Joe Linton. Joe Linton. Getting into the into the front three, Jonathan. Yeah, um, and I mean, you know, I think the fact that he can play on the left or play in midfield is is hugely useful. Uh, yeah, I was sort of looking at the game on Sunday, and you sort of, I mean, it's easy to draw far too broad a conclusion from cup finals, but sort of thinking, yeah, there's a lot of players in that Newcastle side who I think will be phased out. So Dan Byrne, probably one of them. Uh, Shah, probably another one. Um, I think the midfield, Gamarsh aside, probably needs a bit of freshening up. I'm, I'm not, you know, Longstaff, I'm not sure, is is going to be there when they're getting in the Champions League. He'll uh, be there I'm like not... Darren Fletcher, Werner, coming in, coming in for the argument. Nicky Butt, Darren Fletcher, that type of player for Newcastle. I'm not sure he's as good as Nicky Butt or Darren Fletcher. Well, um, he was as good, just a bit, I mean, that type of person coming in. Yeah. Um, Almiron, I think, you know, I know he had his. Yeah, his golden patch coincided with Newcastle's really good spell of form this season. But Jarlinson's, I think, is interesting because his his usefulness in in such a range of positions probably means he'll linger in the squad unless they suddenly get a massive offer from somebody a bit longer than some of those others. Score prediction time then, and I'll come to you first this time, Dan. Um, yeah, I've gone for two nil to Man City. Two nil to Man City, Jonathan. Same. Yeah, the same. Yeah. Which means I'm not going to do the same. Can't, can I? I'll go for three one to Manchester City. Excellent stuff. Making my way up that league that nobody knows where anybody is. Right then, Brentford v Fulham is also coming up this game week, and Mitrovic could be back. Dan Fulham been doing okay without him, but he's been a big part of of why Fulham are top six contenders. Which sounds ridiculous, but but they are top six contenders along with Brentford. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as you said, he's been a massive part uh, for Fulham. He has contributed 31% of Fulham's goals in, in the Premier League, which, yep, is very, very significant. Um, and obviously scored 11 times. Uh, one thing I think is interesting is um, how, how good he is in the air. I know that doesn't necessarily um, correlate with the goals, but he averages over four aerial wins per game, which which makes him... Um, the most, which is the most in the Premier League of any player that's played five or more games, um, which, yeah, it, it is massive. Um, and I think one of the biggest compliments for him is that he does impose himself on the on on the defenders and, and really well gives them shivers. Um, you mentioned they've done all right without him, but they definitely do better with him. Um, and I think you know he's really proving that after that monster season in the Championship. He is that player who can do it in the Premier League too, which I think is there's no bigger compliment really for a Championship striker. Yeah, Fulham are a really interesting team, Jonathan. They've obviously got Solomon, who's coming up, coming off the bench and scoring the same goal every single week. Very uh, right footed, doesn't he? Yeah, but, you know, it seems to be worse. Like Iron, Iron Robin, you know what he's going to do, but you still got you still got to stop him doing it. And he, he's yeah, there was there's the a the moment league. early on in the cup replay at Sunderland when he he, he got the, I can't remember who the defender was. He got the ball. 
running at the defender, gets into the box, and you sort of oh, go. And then the defender, either by chance or because he knew what he was doing, sort of forced him onto his left foot, and the cross was dismal. It just dribbled into the side netting, and you sort of thought, okay. He's very good at one thing, and it's a very good thing, but proper defenders, I think, can probably deal with that. Even Sunderland defenders can deal with that. Yeah, in my opinion, they've made the signing of the season for them in Jao Paulinho. He's been absolutely excellent for them, Dan. He'll be missing, though, for for two games. He absolutely adores a a yellow card. Can't get enough of (laughs) of getting booked. He's a huge miss because he's he's irreplaceable for them in that midfield. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. Um, He's actually made the most tackles in Europe's top five leagues with 101, um, which is 25% of Fulham's tackles. So that alone just shows how big a miss he will be. But if you look at the only other league game he's missed this season due to suspension when, when he picked up five yellows, was their 4-1 loss to Newcastle. Um, so that doesn't really bode well for Fulham in this match. Um, but yeah, I think it, you're right. Signing of the season for them, he's, he's, he's been unreal. And, and the goal he scored in the FA Cup the other day was an, was an absolute peach. So yeah, they, they might struggle without him, I think. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan is a man who is the pride of, of West London. One of these teams is going to be the pride of West London this season because Chelsea are absolutely in the mire. Which one of the two do you think it's going to be? Uh, I mean, they've both been great, haven't they? Um, I mean, and they're both, you know, Fulham are now seven unbeaten in the league. Uh, sorry, seven unbeaten in all competitions. Brentford 11 unbeaten in the league. Uh, Brentford maybe have just slowed down a bit, three draws in the last four games, but they're sixth and ninth. Um, Fulham possibly have slightly more strength and depth, but yeah, they're, 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 they're both playing incredibly well. Um, and I think they're also. I think the two of them plus Brighton are just very, very positive things for football generally that um, it shows that even without huge amounts of money, if you spend it cleverly enough, you, you can be a you know a top-half Premier League team and that's that's got to be a good thing. What are your thoughts on Marco Silva? Because obviously, you know, he'll be a big part of why Fulham are in the top six. Kind of had a mixed re- reputation in England, but he's gone there. And for them to be sat top six in their first season back in, in the Premier League... He's obviously a very good manager. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he, he made the big mistake of going to Everton, didn't he? Which yeah, I just don't think any any manager should do. It's just you know, it's uh, yeah, it's like wandering through a forest and seeing a mushroom and going, "Oh, I'll eat that. I'm sure it'll be fine." It, it won't be fine. It's a bad idea. Um, and you know, he he came, you know, he came to England having won titles with Olympiakos, which okay, maybe it's not the hardest thing to do in Greece, but then his record here is. He's never really at any place long enough for you to work it out. That you know, he was at Hull, he was at Watford, moved to Everton, and, and he could easily just sort of disappeared. But uh, yeah, what he's done with Fulham, getting them up, and then not just keeping them up, but 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 yeah, quite possibly taking them into Europe. Um, yeah, he's done a done a remarkable job. So uh, I think you know, all those positive signs you saw at Hull in those first couple of months at Watford. Yeah, that looks like his true level, not the end at Watford or, or, or what happened to Evan. Yeah, shout out to our producer, Dan Rollinson. Second zoom in in 45 minutes. Thank you for, thank you for waking up. I usually use the zoom in as a chance, opportunity to take a drink. He's only zoomed in twice <laughs> through, through, through the whole podcast, both when Jonathan's talking. I don't care. No, 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 you're not drinking branded branded cans <laughs> at this time of, of, of the morning. I will say they're not alcohol, alcoholic cans, just in, just in case people are wondering. <laughs> Dan's coming with his podcast debut, not been zoomed in on once. Throughout the whole podcast, disappointing work from the producer. Let's get predictions then. I'll go first this time to make it fair. 
I'm at two. Oh, hello, Zoom. I'm going to go two nil. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go two nil to Fulham away win. Jonathan, uh, one nil to Brentford. One nil to Brentford and Dan. Uh, I'm going to do one nil to Fulham. Dan, to tell you the zooming on me was not pleasant at this time <laughs> of the morning. Let's finish then, as we always do, with the just a minute section. Jonathan, you're first with Wolves v Spurs. I mean, this would have been a massive game in the 60s, but it's, it's, I think it's quite a big game now. Your Wolves now 15th, three points clear of the relegation zone. Um, they clearly have improved since Lopetegui came in, but they've lost three of their last six. Uh, having said that, those games were to Liverpool in the Cup, which maybe they're not too bothered about, to Manchester City, which which happens. Uh, the defeat that will worry them is is the defeat to, to Bournemouth. Um, so that was before last night's defeat to Liverpool. So they, they have lost four of the last seven, sorry. Uh, we got a good draw at Fulham last Friday, though. Uh, it'll be without Huang and Bubagar Traore. Uh, Tottenham, uh, before losing to Sheffield United last night, had, had won two in a row after successive defeats. They're very up and down. Uh, but they are back up to fourth again, um, and they're four points clear of Newcastle. They have two games in hand. Liverpool, though, beginning to close in that race for uh, the, the top four. Uh, Harry Kane got the only goal back in August when Spurs won this 1 0. Uh, Lloris, Basuma, Sassini, and Bendicourt are all out, and I think it'll be 1 1. 1 1. I'm going to go for 2 1 to Spurs. Dan? I'm going to go for 2 0 to Spurs. Absolutely grim defeat for Spurs last night in the <laughs> FA Cup. They, 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 can't get near, they can't get near a trophy, can, can they, at the moment? Spurs fans would be very upset about that. Dan, your first ever just a minute is Arsenal against Bournemouth. Any, I say an easy one, but it's nice to talk about Arsenal at the moment. Um, so despite a little wobble at the start of February, Arsenal are back in full swing with three wins in a row in the Premier League, including last night's 4-0 win over Everton. The five points clear of Man City in second and will be very keen to keep Pep's side at arm's length with a home win here. The Gunners have only been defeated once at the Emirates, um, which did come against their title rival City. El Nenny will definitely miss out, but positively, Jesus looks to be making massive progress uh, on his return from knee injury. This game is probably going to come too quickly for the Brazilian, but he could provide a massive boost if he is declared fit. The Cherries have won just once in their last 11 attempts in all competitions and they'll be up against it against an informed Arsenal side. But they do come into this game on a high from the away win against Wolves. Nato was their man of the match on that day and you'd expect him to have a key role to play in this tie if Bournemouth are to get anything. The visitors' injury list is quite a lengthy one though and they look to be without Marcus Tavernier, Susperagai, Stanislas, Zabani and Brooks. However, Kelly looks like he may return after some time out. I can't see Bournemouth providing too much of a threat here to Arsenal's title charge, so I'm going Arsenal 3, Bournemouth 1. It's exactly the same prediction as I was going to make. I've got to be honest, I didn't know who a couple of those Bournemouth players were as well that, that, that were missing. <laughs> Jonathan, what's your prediction? 2-0 to Arsenal. 2-0 to the Arsenal. Right then, you've got Aston Villa against Crystal Palace next. Jonathan, the Gabor Karali Darby. Big win away to Everton for, for Villa last time out. Um, that followed three straight defeats, which I think the most worrying thing wasn't so much the defeats, but the fact they conceded 11 goals in, in losing those games. So keeping the clean sheet, OK, it's only against Everton, he can't score goals at all. Uh, but that that suggests perhaps things moving in the right direction again. Goals haven't been a problem for them. Uh, they haven't failed to score in the last 13 games. And Ollie Watkins has scored in each of his last five. Palace now, I think, are starting to get nervous about relegation. Um, they haven't won any of the last nine. They're only six points off the relegation zone. Uh, but they have only lost one of the last six. So they've drawn five of those. The problem is is getting goals, particularly from the forward line, and converting draws into wins. Uh, their away form has not been great. They've only had two away wins all season, although their last two wins have both been away from home. Uh, Coutinho, Olsen, Diego Costa out for Villa. 
Johnson is out for Palace. Zaha could return the hamstring problem. Palace won this 3-1 at Sellers, but I think this will be Villa winning 1-0. And just to confirm, Villa haven't signed Diego Costa. It's Diego oh, Carlos. Yeah, so my writing's terrible. Sorry. Is that right? You can, you can, you can, you can have it. I, 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 it even if you know Villa did have Diego Costa home one and coming off coming off the bench, that's for sure. Predictions then, Jonathan. You did say it, but I've forgotten what you said. Uh, one nil to Villa. One nil to Villa. Nice. I'm going to go two one to Villa, Dan. Yeah, I'm going to go one nil to Villa as well. One nil to Villa. Brighton West Ham next, Dan. Uh, Brighton go into this game after their first defeat of 2023 against Fulham in the league, but after bouncing back in the FA Cup against Stoke midweek. They'll be hoping they've kicked off another lengthy unbeaten run. They are undefeated against West Ham in any of their last six meetings, two wins and four draws. The Seagulls will be without Lalana, who is unlikely to play again this season. Colwell and Modder uh, are both out as well, but they should see the return of a Stupinian from hamstring issues. Uh, and Solly March should be OK to play after he picked up a knock. March is Brighton's highest rated player this season um, and is one of the informed men in the league. So he will be a massive boost for Deserby's team. West Ham swept Nottingham Forest away in their previous league fixture, winning 4-0 to gain three precious points. Uh, they've only won on one occasion on the road this season. And given that they now sit two points above the relegation zone, they would absolutely cherish a win here. Uh, the Hammers are likely to be without Fabianski and Cornet thanks to injury, um, and they'll need to conduct a late assessment on Kufal ahead of this match. Uh, I think this could run quite close, but I'm going for Brighton to edge it uh, 2-1. I'm going to go 1-1. Jonathan? 1-0 to Brighton. Love the use of cherish a win. That's not a phrase that, that you hear here very often. <laughs> cherish a win. Big, big big fan of that. Jonathan, you've got Chelsea v Leeds, the David Hopkins derby, I believe. Oh, yes. Um, obviously, a very brutal cup final um, in, when was it, 1970. Um, I mean, there's so much to talk about Chelsea. I'm going to start with Leeds. Uh, Beat Hampton and Javi Gracia's first game in charge, which ended a run of 10 without a win in the league. Uh, they failed to score in four of the last, sorry, they had failed to score in four of their five games before that. Uh, and they were they were well beaten in the cup by Fulham. Uh, their fourth bottom, only a point clear of the relegation zone, so big pressure on them. Chelsea have only won two of 15 in the league, they only, only they, they themselves are only 10 points off relegation. Um, while they're 14 points off the Champions League, they've only scored four goals this entire calendar year which is the, the worst of any professional side in English football. Uh, they haven't beaten the top half side this season, and yet there appears to be no pressure on Graham Potter. The club keep on briefing that his job's safe. The players appear still to like him, even if, if fans are, are becoming mutinous. Um, a scattering of injuries to both sides. Leeds won this 3-0 at Ellen Road, but I think this time, surely, Chelsea will have enough 1-0. Yeah, I'm going to go 2-0 Chelsea. 2-0 to Chelsea. I'm not 2-1 to Leeds, you know. I think, it, although he's had heavy backing, I think this is the week it turns absolutely toxic at, at Stamford Bridge. So I'm going to go Leeds 2-1. Uh, Dan, your last game is Southampton v Leicester. Uh, Southampton remain bottom of the Premier League and go into this fixture off the back of one win in their last five league games, which was a 1-0 win over Chelsea. Um, and a grim FA Cup exit to uh, Grimsby. In the reverse fixture between Southampton and Leicester was Southampton, who took the spoils with a 2-1 win in August. Uh, the Saints will be without Livramento and Larios, but we'll be hoping that Shea Adams can return to action. He's been recovering from a knock, but there's hope that he'll be fit to play. He's their second highest scorer, so his inclusion could have a significant impact on the result. Orsic and Saliso are both likely to miss... Oh, no, will both return, sorry, to bolster the Southampton squad. Uh, the Foxes were comfortably beaten by league leaders Arsenal last week and were knocked out of the FA Cup by Championship side Blackburn. 
Rogers will be desperate to put a smile back on their fans' faces with a win here. They currently sit three points above the drop zone, um, so are desperate for the points. They'll have to go through this match without Tielemans, who is Leicester's second highest rated player in the league this season, who remains out with an ankle injury. Um, James Madison is rumoured to be ill, so he may also miss out, which is another massive blow for Leicester, given that he is their top scorer and provided the most assists for them this season. I've got this down as a low-scoring KG affair, so I'm going to go for 1-1. One, one. Can't be ill still, Madison. He missed the game last weekend for, for, for being ill. You can't have that many days off work for, for, for illness, James. <laughs> uh, I can't call this one at all. Uh, Southampton getting knocked out of the FA Cup last night is probably blinding me a little bit. I'll go 1-1. One, one. Jonathan? Um, I'm going to stay on the Ian Acho bandwagon 1-0 Leicester. Ian Acho to score? To assist, to score, to keep a clean sheet. To do, to do this, it all. This is, this, is the, uh, this is the Ian Acho era. This is what he, this is what he does. We'll finish with Nottingham. Oh, no, we won't. Yeah, we will. We'll finish with Nottingham Forest against Everton. The Kevin Campbell derby, Jonathan. Uh, Scott Campbell was who I was thinking of. Um, Mark Pembridge play for Bertha or no, he was Darby. Ignore me. You go on with you just a minute section. Uh, Forest seemed to be moving away from relegation zone with a, a run of five games, which took 11 points. But they've only taken one point from the last three. And now they're just four points off relegation zone again. So I, I, I think any any dreams of a, of a comfortable end of the season probably have gone for them. It is going to be a fight. There's even four games this season in which they've scored more than once. Uh, the only team worse than that is Everton, who've only scored more than once, twice. Um, they have won two games under Sean Dyson since, since he arrived six games ago. But that defeat uh, at Villa and then... Um, sorry, at home to Villa and then at Arsenal... Uh, felt like setbacks, but defensively they don't look as sound as they did in that, that opening game against Arsenal. They've only had one away win all season, whereas Forrest have taken 19 of the 25 points they've got at home. Um, uh, Andrew Sands and Calvert-Lewin out for Everton. Forrest got 10 players either out or doubtful. Um, and I think Dyche will get them organised a bit better, so I'm going to say 1-1. 1-1. I'm going to go 2-1 to Nottingham Forest. Dan? I'm going to go 1-0 to Everton. 1-0 to Everton. Thank you very much. Now, I'm unsure who will be doing the podcast from who scored next week. We have three different people in three ways. But if it's you, Dad, I want a, I want a league table for the predictions. I want, I, want to see, I want to see the state of play. I want, I want to see what's going on. We know Jonathan's <laughs> top. We don't need to worry about I might not be. Either. I've had a bit of a bit of a wobble the last couple of weeks. I'm, I'm not getting right scores. <laughs> the trouble is, if no one's been keeping up with it, they're going to have to go back through like the last six, seven weeks of podcasts. And, and add the scores but Dan I'd like someone I'd like someone to do that so I'm tasking you with it and if it's your face on this podcast next week and it's not there you have to you have to answer you know it's going to be it's going to be a tough, tough gig for you tough pod for you whoever's on next week it's going to be a tough pod for them from who scored thanks ever so much for you for joining me though on your podcast debut and Jonathan thank you to you as always as well thanks to everyone watching as well if you subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on you'll know exactly when our next podcast is coming out. Enjoy all the football at the weekend and as ever, stay safe.